Austin Approach. I'm your co-host, Bryce Duby. And I am your co-host, Michelle Lai. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Happy New Year, Michelle. Happy New Year to you. Although it, it, I think it's a little weird that we're saying it now. We're recording on the 14th of January. I think there was like a rule that you can't say it after the 7th or something, but still. That's nonsense. Don't you worry. We can say Happy New Year. First podcast of the new year. It is 2022. Uh, we are kicking things off with all sorts of exciting things this year. We're thrilled to have everybody coming back for this episode. Uh, how was your New Year's? Uh, you know what? My New Year's was great. It was a, a little bit uneventful, but still pretty good. I mean, I, I, I had a I had a good time. I can't believe it's the 14th. Like we're two weeks in, and it it's just been a really really busy and intense two weeks uh, for me. Anyway, I was supposed to be off this two weeks. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, my brother was supposed to be flying in from Ireland with his uh, beautiful wife and gorgeous nephew, who I have not met yet. So it was a little bit. So the new year started off a little bit gutted for me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie, um, because I was supposed to meet my nephew for the first time, and he's gorgeous, and I haven't had the chance to sniff his head and tickle his tummy and and suck on his toes. I know that sounds weird, but it's, it's what I like. You know, just nibble <laughs> on his cheeks, and he just turned one. So, you know, he's, um, there's, there's thousands and thousands of them out there, COVID babies that you, you know, that were born during COVID that you weren't able to go and visit and touch and sm- sniff and smell and hug and love. So he was one of them. So I was actually supposed to be off this two weeks to hang out with my brother. Um, and he didn't come. So I ended up working and it was probably, uh, in some shape or form a blessing in disguise, uh, because it's been a really busy two weeks and I probably wouldn't have been able to give them the time that I wanted to, and it would have stressed me out. So that was a long way to say I had a really good, <laughs> I had a good new year, set off a ton of fireworks. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. What about you? Yeah. I mean, our neighborhood always goes crazy on like the fireworks things and all that. So that's always fun. It was, mine was fairly low key, but I have a tradition. Um, I mean, New Year's Eve was, was fine, but New Year's Day is always one of my favorite days of the year. I look forward to it. I, I always start off the year with a very traditional meal and it is my, well, it's not very traditional for anyone else, but it's traditional for me. Um, Tell me. I make, I wake up in the morning, um, maybe a little foggy in my head. It's New Year's Day and I make crab cakes, eggs, Benedict from scratch. No, you do not. Do you really? Every year. I've been doing this for years now and I figure I sit down, I have some crab cakes. I got some poached eggs, a little hollandaise sauce, make a mimosa. um, Spend some time with sauce from scratch too. Absolutely. Look at Um, you. Do the I figure you start off the morning of the first day of the year, regardless. And we've had some rough years recently. I think we can all agree on that. But at least you are starting off the best way you possibly can. Mimosa, crab cakes, <laughs> eggs, Benedict. Bring it on 2022. Let's see what you got. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. So here, what do you put in your crab cakes? Uh, I've got it's just kind of a normal recipe with just um, like, oh, I'm blanking on it now because I only make it really like once a year. Once but just year? with like, yeah, like the, the crab cakes and the at least some crackers and some spices and things like that. And then fry them up. I make them the day before. Then that morning, fry them up in the, in the skillet and then do all the eggs. And it's a whole production. It's great. Yum. Well, um, I bit the I bit the bullet this year and um, went for a, a full Irish breakfast uh, for for New Year's morning, which um doesn't sound anywhere as, as glamorous as what you did. Um, and there's none of that making from scratch stuff. So it's basically a pig on a plate, Irish style. <laughs> so I discovered years ago that Specs, um, Specs has a, a frozen section 
Mm-hmm. And in that frozen section, there's there's foods from different places. And one of them, uh, you have British bangers and breakfast sausages and British back bacon. And, and for those of, of you that don't know, there's a huge difference between what people from Ireland and England call bacon versus bacon here. Right? The bacon here, we call it streaky bacon because uh, it's streaked and marbled with with fat, if you know what I mean. So anyway, so we have our back bacon. And then this year I discovered that Spex is now, Spex now has a black pudding and white pudding. Do, ah, you, do you know what that is? I do. Okay, so I got very, very excited about that. So I bought black pudding, white pudding, sausages, bacon, and then I had some fried eggs and um, mushrooms and... Uh, baked beans and I also discovered that World Market carries like the flour for wheat and bread. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not, but it's it's a, a, a yeah, wheat and bread is delicious. So when I tell you it was amazing and completely unhealthy in every way. Uh, also a great way to start the year. There's like, nothing like bacon and eggs, man, you know? No. And sausages. <laughs> 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 These it's a small things, but I, I love your I love your crab cake thing. Sounds very decadent. It is, and I figure it's like there's one thing you do, and then you end up taking a nap afterwards, and it's great. And it's it's just a, it's a good way to just kick everything off. But but speaking of what you were just saying with your British breakfast and all of that, I have some very exciting news. Yes. Uh, so just this past week, we made a major air service announcement. Uh, we are going to have a new carrier flying nonstop from Austin to London Heathrow. Holy moly. I did hear this. Tell us about it, Bryce. So Virgin Atlantic um, is going to be bringing service. It arrives later this year on May 25th. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Now now there's options. Yeah. So we've got, it's going to have two carriers now going straight from Austin to Heathrow. It's going to be four days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really cool, f- cool flight. It's going to be Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. Nice. And it's, it's going to take off at, or it's going to depart Austin at 6.05 PM. So you overnight land in London at 9 a.m. Uh, and then the return flights leave London at 11.35 a.m. and arrive in Austin at 4 p.m. So like not really like crazy like jet lag. I mean, you can just overnight it, wake up and rest and be ready to go. I mean, honestly, that's really, really good. The other thing is, is you can fly right into Heathrow and go right straight in and get yourself a breakfast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a nice British. We well, see, I do because I would ordinarily fly into Belfast, right? Mm. So um, if I was to fly in at nine o'clock in the morning, which is the perfect time, and then you go get yourself an Irish breakfast or an English an English breakfast, then it would be, of course, and uh, get yourself ready for your, your flight into Belfast. Happy days. And the same thing, you know, that's a really nice flight coming back because you don't have to get up at the crack of dawn, right? Like an 1130 a.m. flight out of out of London into Austin for 10 past four. So you're you're here in time. By the time you get leave the airport, get in, throw some steaks in the grill, have a wee steak dinner, glass of wine. Off you go to bed, get over your jet lag. Nice one. Yeah, like the the times really are great. I was looking through it's like exactly what you just said. It's like, wow, that's that's very convenient and just kind of a great way to do it. And then of course we all know I mean Virgin Atlantic, I haven't flown them, but I have some friends who have I mean that's a 
that's a great airline. They they bring they bring a service that is is unique, and I mean, there's a reason that their brand kind of stands out for what they do. So it's we're we are over the moon to have them here, and it's it's this is going to be an exciting year um, for a lot of that transatlantic stuff. I know we talked before as well. We've got KLM coming up in just a couple of weeks, and that's going to be yeah. nonstop to Amsterdam, um, and we've got Lufthansa coming back nonstop to Frankfurt. Um, so for everyone who's looking to head not just to Europe, but then you get to those areas. And I mean, it's not like you can't go a million places out of London, Amsterdam or Frankfurt. You've got some amazing options for travelers here. I mean, whether that's business or leisure, uh, to Absolutely. Really see the world. And it's right in time for spring break. Like, what are you going to yep. do for spring break? Go to Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. So we are we are super thrilled to see all of this. We are again beyond elated to welcome virgin atlantic to austin uh and it's going to be a really cool it's it's going to be a great summer for air service here um i know we still are in a recovery phase on things but we we can start to see some of that light i mean just uh recently we got our final november passenger numbers back it was our busiest november ever not just pandemic recovery or anything else we we actually were above November 2019 passenger numbers by about like 110,000 passengers. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. It's also really significant. I mean, that is, um, you know, kind of like a, a window in in what we can what we can expect this upcoming year. You know, yeah, touch I mean, it, and it's tough times too. I mean, it is it is all of this is happening under really tough conditions we've mentioned this before it's like where is everybody you know to 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 work the great resignation is happening all that stuff is going on um people are fi- everywhere you look i mean everybody is hiring everyone is hiring T- tell me somebody who's not hiring it's crazy <laughs> Um, out there, the job market is hot when you're looking for it. And we're looking at the airport, by the way, guys. I mean, there are jobs at the airport um, as well, uh, all, all in every area. We've got all sorts of things going on. We actually have uh, job fairs coming up. Um, by the t- Unfortunately, by the time this is recorded, but I know we'll have posted it in other places and things, but uh, uh, Paradis Lagadere is going to be doing hiring fairs next week. I know they've got some other ones scheduled in the future. We've done some in the past with Delaware North. Some of the other things, so our concession partners are all trying to bring in folks. I know that those all um, are some great opportunities. And TSA is always talking about hiring the airport itself on the Department of Aviation side. There's, there's a lot of opportunities out there. And really right now, you're getting in kind of on the ground floor of seeing what it's like being at a, I mean, with, like we just talked with some of this air service. This, this is a hustle and bustle in airport. We're, we are one of the fastest growing airports in the country. It would be a dynamic time to really come in if you on it, on get into aviation at a time when it, it, it's going to be an exciting time. But can I just reiterate how fun it is to work at an airport, by the way? Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's so great. Like, it's hard to describe, like, especially coming back as we've been kind of coming back in and doing more terminal things and seeing stuff. Um, the other day I was actually working on a project and had the opportunity to go back out onto like the airfield area with our airside operations team. And like, you just go around and you're like, wow, like, look at all, like you see all the planes going on and it's, it's just wild and it's so fun. Yeah, I know guys, Austin airport is where it is. Come on in. The water's nice and warm. <laughs> There's plenty, there's plenty of opportunity to be had. Uh, yeah, but again, I mean, not, 
not making light of, it is also a struggle right now. I mean, just and every airport and every industry is feeling the pinch of being short staffed and staff being out because they're unwell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, I mean, you've said this many, many times, Bryce, and I, and I love this term that, that you, that you come up with, you know, pack your patients because it, it really is hard for everybody when you're trying to get from A to B manufacturing lines are being stalled, you know, uh, just, there's so many things that are getting stalled and transportation is one of them occasionally as well. So it's, it's tough out there. And yet we're still, resilient. We're still making really good things happen. We're still bringing in new air service. I mean, Austin is just still the place to be. And we're offering new ways for you to go out and get vaccinated as well. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Tell um, us more about that. So we've got, uh, we've, we've done a couple of them in the past and they've all been very successful. So folks over the Texas military department, Texas national guard, uh, some of their medical personnel have been coming down to baggage claim. A few mm-hmm. times we've really set up some regular um, vaccination clinics in the terminal. So every Monday, Thursday and Friday through the rest of this month from noon to six. Um, first, second booster Pfizer Moderna vaccines ready to go near baggage claim five. Um, like I said, noon to six, no appointment necessary. Just show up if you've already had your shot. Bring either your vaccine card or a photo of your card. Uh, if this is your first one, congratulations, but you'll get your card right there. But yeah, we've got everything set up. We're, we're running a vaccine clinic three times a week for six hours a day in the terminal. That's terrific. Isn't that fantastic? Like that really is cool. There's no yeah. doubt about it. I mean, we, we, I know that we've been working, um, uh, really in, in conjunction with the community. It's great to see the guard come out and help us with that and, and, and use the airport, uh, for, for multiple reasons. And, you know, that, that's a, a huge public health thing and it's, it's great. And I've been, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of, uh, my friends and colleagues and they want to get their booster and it's like, I just don't have, it's, it's really hard. Like CVS is booked every, you know, everywhere is starting to get booked. And, um, I think I might've mentioned in, in a previous podcast, schools are starting to do the same thing, right? They're starting mm-hmm. to give out boosters and they're starting to, so even if you, if you don't have children that go to those schools, you can still go keep an eye out. Um, because there's just more and more organizations, uh, starting to help, you know, medical organizations get some boosters out there into the, into the community, or like you say, first or second vaccines. So yeah, that's awesome. Do you know how it's been going? That, like I said, we started off with, they were doing like, they did like one as like a trial and then they ended up adding another one. So it's, it's been successful to the point where they just said, Hey, we're doing them three times a week. Mm-hmm. the rest of the month so like there is demand out there for them which is cool and again they put it in baggage claim which is on the public facing side so you don't have to go through security i mean for anyone listening if you're not even flying but you just need to get that booster swing on by the airport go in park come right in get your shot go on your way um i mean it's there's no you don't have to have a ticket or anything like that so if you work at the airport if you don't work at the airport if you're just passing by on 71 it's i mean i can't think of a better i mean it's convenient yeah very cool i love it what else is going on in our airport these days well i haven't had a meal recently um i think the last we talked about with with zoclo and they've added some new stuff which is which is super cool we're glad to see them at the airport uh so no new concessions although uh i took some photos the other day of a new i don't know what to call it 
Um, but is it, have you heard of a jabber box? A jabber box? I have not. Okay. Um, so they're interesting and I'm trying to think of the best way to describe them. You've traveled for work before, right? I sure have. And you get into the terminal and we even, we found out when we recorded our one in terminal podcast, um, Mm -hmm. it can be a little loud sometimes. Yeah. Um, sometimes you need to jump on that quick teams call. You need to go get it on a phone call. Maybe you just need to zone out and concentrate on some work, but you're, you've got to wait for your flight for the next two hours. Um, yeah. Well, Jabberbox is really kind of the, the solution for that. So it's kind of like a phone booth. Um, oh. but it has a workstation in it. So you can go in, you can plug in, charge your phone, charge your laptop, all of those types of things. And it's nice and it's got some good soundproofing and all of that. So it really is like a little tiny office space that you can um, reserve online or through, I think they have an app as well. Um, And you go in and and you just kind of pay for your little block of time that you're going to need. And you're like, hey, I know I've got my connecting flight or no, I show I'm one of those people who loves to show up early, but I'm going to still have like two hours to burn and I can't just spend all that time sitting at the Saxon pub um, as much as that's always great. I need to get some work done. Uh, we've got Jabber boxes set up for that. So we've got uh, some down in the nine gate expansion area uh, over by gate six or so four mm-hmm. in the four, six area right in front of Parkside. And then some other ones down the other end of the terminal as well. Um, but yeah, you can just make the reservations, hop right in. You just plug right in and get to work. I have, I, as you've been speaking, I've been cunningly looking this up. Uh, very cool. How many did you say we had? I know you said we had some where they are, but how many do we have? Let me double check on that. I know uh, there's a couple units at each location. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how many overall that we have, but they're, they're private offices. Yeah, they're at gate five and at gate 23. So kind of nice. right next to Taco Deli and uh-huh. right next to um, kind of the Parkside Cafe Medici area. Wow. And it's, a cup, and it's a couple of them at each spot. But yeah, I mean, it's it's that's one of the things I always think about. Sometimes like you, you're trying to get work done in the terminal and there are some loudspeaker announcements and things like that going on. There's people around it. Like I said, we tried to record a podcast and it, it turned out OK. But sometimes you really just like, you know, I just need that space where I can just go in and close a door handle, jump on a call, work on some spreadsheets. I mean, that's it. And it's room for one only, right? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and they are cleaned regularly and they have a whole bunch of different uh, features and all that, all that information is on their website as far as some of those types of things. So there's, there's a lot of work that went into getting those installed in the terminal and they are now up and running. Wow. I need to go check that out. I have been, this has been a really busy couple of weeks. I think I, I, think I led with that. So we, uh, we came hot off of New Year's uh, into the office and um, uh, I, uh, my team, we, we kicked off a new supervisor academy and it has just been incredibly busy trying to um, get you know, administer that and get it off the ground. And then of course you're going in and you're facilitating it and stuff. And so it's just been incredibly, incredibly busy. Um, I uh, think a little inside baseball on just airport life. Um, I mean, we just come off of that busy time of year. Um, I mean, October with 
F1 ACL, and then we roll right into Thanksgiving and Christmas travel seasons and all of that. So January, February, at a lot of at Austin and a lot of other airports as well are that slower time of year passenger wise. But I think I have found, I think you, as you just kind of mentioned right there, it's the time when we go, okay, we don't have to do the day-to-day stuff. Now I can catch up on all these other tasks, launch new projects, figure things out for the rest. It's the time to really get a lot of work done. So you're busier with work, but you're in kind of a, it's a, it's a different work. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. If not now, when? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a fast paced environment. It's not for the, it's not for the week of, it's not for the week of heart. <laughs> no. But, uh, but yeah, that's why I'm like, how did it get to the 14th of January already when I, I feel like New Year's Eve was just the other day, you know? Oh, I know. I'm already looking at the calendar cause we're, we're already prepping for that, the KLM launch event that's going to be coming up in March. I'm looking at all those wow. windows, playing all those timelines out. It's like, okay, I need to like, order balloons and start figuring out if we're doing like some sort of like cool decorative cookies and all these other little kind of crazy things and getting all that stuff set up. Um, it's like, Oh, and I have less than two months to get all of that locked in what music we're getting, who were all these things. So it's, it's the, the timeline for all that stuff moves so quick this time of year, even though it's technically slower. Um, but yeah, it's always busy at the airport. Like you said, Well, speaking about always busy, we have a really interesting person uh, today who's going to come and join us for a chat. And I am super excited on this one, too, because this is one of those jobs where and he'll probably talk a little bit more about it. But when you say, oh, what do you do at the airport? You're going to be like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I remember the first time I like heard about his job, I was like, I okay, what does that even mean? So. Um, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with the Austin Bergstrom wildlife biologist. Want to stay connected with the Austin approach? Be sure to hit the subscribe button. You can also find us online on Facebook and Twitter at Austin airport on Instagram at AUS airport and on our website at austintexas.gov slash airport got a question or topic you'd like to hear on a future episode email us at the austin approach at austintexas.gov bryce one of the things we've been talking about is all the different jobs and positions that there are and rules that there are in in the airport and one of the things that fascinated me when I first came on board was a gentleman who has a very unusual role uh, and I had no idea it existed um, so do you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah I could I've, I've actually worked with our guest today a couple times on uh, a few different projects with media interest and things but it's it's really interesting I didn't know the airport has a wildlife management program. And when you really think about it, it does make sense. So uh, I would like to introduce our guest today, Chris, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do here at the airport. Yeah, great. Thanks, y'all. Uh, Chris Moray. I'm the wildlife biologist here at Austin Bergstrom International Airport. Um, primarily, my job is to prevent strikes between aircraft and wildlife, namely birds. Uh, most wildlife strikes involve birds. Um, every once in a while, there's a mammal strike. Um, so it can vary a little bit depending on the season and weather and things of that nature or anything just going on. Um, but primarily I start my day 
uh, with a perimeter inspection, and that involves displacing any birds, basically just scaring them away from the airfield environment. Uh, check fences and gates. That's one of the more boring parts of it, but that's pretty important just to make sure that nothing has dug under the fences or pushed under the gates at night uh, and has gained access to the airfield. So I check that and we try to do some preventative maintenance there. Um, and then otherwise, it's just you never know if you get a call about a bat or a bird in the terminal or inside one of the office buildings. Uh, of course, something that's gone onto the airfield to try to respond to that in a timely manner. Um, and then there's a if you look at some of the aerials of the airport, where the airport is situated, there is a lot of undeveloped land around us, at least for the time being. Uh, we have Onion Creek, which sort of follows its course down around the south portion of the airport over to the east side where it uh, forms a confluence with the Colorado River. Uh, so that's all sort of essentially resources and passageway for, for wildlife. Uh, so we do some inspections over there and then uh, just across the Onion Creek from us, we have the the landfill that operates there. So we try to keep an eye on that and make sure that's not attracting birds as uh, either. And we, we have a, a good operating kind of partnership with the landfill staff over there too. So we keep each other informed of what's going on. So it sounds like there's whole ecosystems here. I mean, there's a lot of different, I mean, whether you're talking the creeks or some of the grasslands or things like that. So, um, I mean, you mentioned in your title, you're a wildlife biologist. So I mean, it really helps to like know what's going to be where and kind of plan ahead on all of that stuff. I mean, it's, was it, is this your background? Is that what you got your start in or how does, how did you come up, end up being an airport wildlife biologist? I know. And what does a wildlife biologist do if they're not in an airport? You need to talk to me, Chris, tell me all about yourself. <laughs> okay. So the, the latter question I can't really answer. <laughs> There's all different types of wildlife biologists. I know nothing other than the airport environment. I, I was with Dallas Love Field prior to this position at Austin Bergstrom. Uh, if you want to even rewind before that, I was doing more surface water quality work, uh, stormwater management, really. Uh, and then one day I saw an opportunity at Love Field, and I didn't know exactly what I was getting into, but I applied for it, uh, prepared for it by actually watching YouTube videos on <laughs> airport wildlife conferences. And then sure enough, I started there. Um, so, yes, yeah, there's a lot of different kind of environments that come together around Austin Bergstrom. This being somewhat an arid environment, the water resources going to be, are going to be really important and draw a lot of wildlife. So as I mentioned, we're not that far from the Colorado River. We're almost, I think you have to check with the environmental staff on this, but I think about 80% of the airport is basically within the watershed of Onion Creek. So, you know, that's, that's sort of the main one. Um, so if you ever spend any time down there, you can see a lot of different wildlife moving around. There's been wild turkeys down there. Uh, I've seen bobcats, coyotes, just about any of your urban wildlife. And then every once in a while, something that will kind of surprise you. Turkeys and bobcats. Wow. That's, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I never think with air. I think like pigeons and maybe some grackles and a couple like things like that, but bobcats and turkeys, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. We certainly got all that. The, the turkeys will actually come over the fence every once in a while. They don't come too far inside the fence and they're quickly, you put a little scare pressure on them and they quickly fly back over. But they will come inside and forage around, usually around January, February, maybe even a little bit into early March. Is when you see them. Uh, just yesterday, I was doing my perimeter inspection uh, down around the south end of the east runway, and I saw a mother bobcat grooming uh, two young ones. And I stopped to get a picture, and they realized I was looking at them, and they ran off. Aww. But yeah, you see all kinds of things. Uh, I didn't even realize we had bobcats in this part of Texas. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't for sure. 
Uh, that's that's really interesting. Um, and you mentioned so one of the things you do is with with your mitigation is you sort of influence the birds to to go other places and things. And you kind of scare them off. How does how does all of that work? Or how do you how do you discourage birds um, and other wildlife really from coming to the airport? So somewhat depends on the species. Um, I have to give a lot of credit to the airfield maintenance side. They do an excellent job mowing and correcting uh, drainage issues so we don't have standing pools of water and things of that nature. And that's really your starting point. I, I sometimes argue they do the bulk uh, of the work when it comes to wildlife management is from just a preventative maintenance standpoint. Oh, so like because if there's no water, the birds aren't going to come land to go drink, things like that. Exactly. Particularly after a storm event, if you get the stormwater ponds on the uh, airfield, seeds will float up to the top and that can attract ducks. And uh, of course, just being a dry environment, it's going to be a water source for a lot of birds too. And then gulls will come in looking for uh, invertebrates, you know, that being insects or worms that have been kind of pushed up to the soil surface. So uh, fixing that, fixing those kind of things is a big deal. And mowing is just going to basically prevent the seed structure from forming on the vegetation, which is contractual. Doves, pigeons, and uh, other birds like that. So that's really sort of your first line of defense is just actually keeping a good landscaping management uh, plan in place. Um, then go a little, to, to go a little bit further, uh, it almost depends on the species, what you're seeing at different times of year. Around March and April, we'll see a lot of things uh, returning to the airport that we saw sort of disappear around uh, August or November. Uh, some species react a little bit different to, to you know, just seeing a vehicle with the flashing lights. My vehicle, I'm doing the perimeter inspection, and that'll be enough to displace them. Some other things take a little more encouragement, so you can sort of shoot a fire uh, a firearm, being a shotgun in their direction, and that'll be enough to make them pick up and move. Uh, sometimes when things are a little further out, uh, pyrotechnics will work. Uh, it just depends. It just depends on what the species is. Okay, we had pyrotechnics. Talk mm-hmm. to me about that. What are you talking about? Setting off a firework? <laughs> it's sort of the same effect, but <laughs> launched a little bit differently and that kind of thing. It's just uh, there's different pyrotechnics for different birds. You have a screamer, which basically just makes that loud screaming sound. Like think of a firework when it's on its course upward. And that tends to work better for your raptors, you know, your birds of prey. Uh, they hear that sound and that kind of sends them off. Uh, then when it comes to more uh, birds that have tend of a, a flocking nature, form flocks. Uh, then you have bangers, which are make a little bit less noise on their trajectory, but then when they get to the point of detonation, the, that loud bang sound will displace the birds. So that tends to work a little bit better on meadowlarks, morning doves, pigeons. I would say those are the main ones. So you just kind of learn these things after time, and you have to be uh, careful about where you position yourself relative to the pyrotechnics that you're actually going to push the birds away from the runways as opposed to towards it. Oh, that uh, makes sense. Oh, too. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's, really, it's kind of that do no harm type philosophy, right? So yeah, now, and I know one thing I found interesting, we've worked before on some media projects, like I mentioned earlier with uh, some reporters and things. I was very surprised when we all think Texas and flocks of birds we all think grackles but you were you were saying grackles aren't as common a concern necessarily as some of the other birds even though we i mean even you come to the airport sometimes and there'll, there'll be grackles all over the parking deck and things like that like tell, tell i mean what what do you see with some of those birds it's interesting 
Yeah, that's a good point. I, I would say quantity-wise, if there was a way to take a survey of every bird that crosses over into the airport operations area every year, grackles probably by biomass or by count are the, are the number one bird, but they're very infrequently involved in strike events. I think in the, I've been here since 2018. I think there's only been one documented incident of a grackle strike, and that was actually just the remains being found on a runway. No pilot report to confirm it, but nonetheless, that goes on the records as a strike as a strike involving that species. And I think that's the only one. Wow. Uh, they're a pretty situationally aware bird. They do kind of create a lot of mess where they tend to roost and things of that nature. But then again, that's a little bit more of a land side issue than an air side issue. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a lot of them out there. Uh, they are a native bird, but there's certainly a lot of them. Um, when it comes to strike events, we sort of see the most frequently struck species is, is morning dove. Uh, they find a lot of food resources out here. They tend to want to cross over the runways. Uh, not the Unlike the grackles, they're not the most situationally aware bird. I just don't think they see the aircraft coming and don't, uh, you know, just don't take that into effect. Uh, this year was a little bit different. I'm supposing it was because to the uh, to the rainfall, but actually this year we saw more uh, barn swallows struck than any other species. We do have a lot of barn swallows, cliff swallows, cave swallows, uh, a few others, but those tend to be the, the most frequently struck birds. The barn swallows, they're uh, aerial predators, so they're out trying to catch insects in open space, and I guess sometimes that just draws them over the, the runway at the wrong time. Interesting. Yeah, that's. I, I know, like, so that whole process when all that works, you, you kind of mentioned that you like if a bird is either found or reported, there's a whole system, and we don't need to get way into the weeds and all that, but it's it's interesting knowing that there is a whole system really in place to document all this stuff to help mitigate these things and figure all that stuff out. Um, it just like as part of our safety. Yes, yeah, so the FAA has some very detailed guidelines on how to document a strike in what instances based on if you only find some remains on a runway or an active taxiway. Uh, those guidelines are all out there, and we try to try to abide by that. I'm real grateful for the airside operations staff that is very methodical and committed to to all this collecting all that strike data and getting it to me. Uh, so I can put it in all reports. So that's been very helpful too. What's the strangest wildlife you've seen out here? Um, so I moved here in 2018, so I definitely kind of saw a whole different uh, eco region here in uh, Central Texas. So I, I came from Love Field, which is very much an urban airport, uh, even compared to Austin Bergstrom. So seeing some of the bobcats was pretty interesting. I've heard reports of there being mountain lion sightings down on the Colorado River. I don't know if they're coming this far upland, but I suppose it's within the realm of possibility. Uh, what was it? Wild, uh, mountain lions? Yeah, yeah. They mountain say they're, lions? They say what? They're seeing, yeah. Um, a lot of biologists say they're seeing them down on the, on the Colorado River or people spend time down there. I haven't seen one come up here. Let me <laughs> be real straightforward about that. Um, the caracara, you have a lot of those. I tend to view them as one of the more risky species. They tend to always be in pairs. Uh, I think they have... What's a caracara? A caracara is actually in the falcon family. If you didn't know better, and every once in a while they do come across on a strike report or a sighting as a bald eagle, they're largely kind of a black body with a, with a white head. Uh, falcon family is where they are on the biological organization, but they're actually behaviorally almost more similar to a vulture. They tend hmm. to scavenge. I suppose that's probably like a more 
ready food source for them. Uh, they tend to always be in pairs. Uh, they, I suppose they're in the, they may be in that habit of just finding small birds or things along the edge of the runway. So they tend to gravitate towards there, which is somewhat risky. Some of our, our most notable strike events have involved crested characters. So try to uh, make a more concentrated effort to displace them from the runway or the airport environment. So Chris, how does this work? Do you get a call from, I don't know, the, 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 the tar that says, Hey, a pilot has, has just co- confirmed a strike. Go see what you can find. Or is it you're walking around, you go, oh, there's pieces of something. There's something that's been struck. Or is it kind of both? It is both, but it's more, more often it's the latter category where our airside operations people are doing their routine runway inspections. I believe they do two a day. And they find the remains of a you know, let's say a, a house finch or a cedar waxwing or what have you, uh, they're required by FAA guidelines to just essentially assume that's a documented strike event, uh, loose, uh, come up with a, an approximate location of where that strike happened, and then I get a copy of it, and I sort of put that into a larger database and try to find some general trends. Uh, every once in a while, we do get some strike reports that are relayed from pilots to the tower to airside operations, or just that they will be informing us there's a large flock of birds off the approach end and that, you know, that may be a situation we want to look into and deploy some pyrotechnics or whatever we can do. Um, but the majority of strikes do basically just come across, come onto record as remains found on the runway. No corresponding pilot report, but you know, all signs point to us that it was probably a strike event and the remains were found afterward. I would imagine, I mean, not to necessarily make light of it, but I mean, if you're, if you're flying a 737 and you hit a finch, you probably aren't going to notice. I would say, I mean, to be fair, so I mean, that does make sense that you would find some of those in that sense. So, but it means. I agree with that. Yeah. Have you ever seen the vantage point from, from where a pilot is that there's not that great of visibility? I'm sometimes surprised they can report things as accurately as they do. So, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that there is that kind of mix of reporting on how all of that stuff works and then it does go into this program. What do you do? And I sort of already know the answer, but what do you do afterwards? So you find that caracara or that finch or that morning dove. Do you have to do anything with the remains? Or I know I'm basically leading to you. Tell us about the bird freezer. <laughs> that was subtle as a brick, wasn't it, Chris? Nice. Yeah, the bird freezer. Um, I've heard about this bird freezer. Tell me more. Well, the bird freezer is in the wildlife uh, management room. Um, it, it has a number of purposes. Uh, if somebody finds something over the... I generally work Monday through Friday, a little bit of exceptions. If somebody finds something over the weekend that they weren't immediately sure what the uh, species ID is, they can do the strike report, put whatever remains are left into a sealable bag like a ziploc bag a strike staple the strike report to it and put it in the freezer and then if there is a enough material i can come up with a species id if there is not enough that the freezer basically just becomes kind of a, a holding area until we can mail some of the material off to the smithsonian uh, bird identification lab in dc and they will take what they can I'm not precisely sure what their techniques are, but I like to say, you know, if they can determine your uh, 
national origins by like a swab of your cheek, they can definitely tell what kind of bird they have with just a little bit of uh, feathers. Or uh, snarge is sort of the in a, it was a military term that's kind of trickled down the industry, but snarge is just the sort of used term for guts and bird tissue. Uh, and then they're able to come up with a species ID and they automatically update the strike report. So we're able with the, with, and that's usually like a two week turnaround. Oh, wow. Yeah, they do. They do a very thorough, very fast job at the Smithsonian uh, at no cost to the airport. So we'll send our send our samples off there. They'll update the strike report and we end up getting a pretty good site picture of what species are involved in strikes around the airport. Uh, there's always going to be some unknowns. You, you may have the pilot said it was an unknown large bird and just there was no amount to be recovered. Uh, but generally, uh, and as time has gone on, we've started getting a better sight picture of what the birds are involved in, in aircraft wildlife strikes. So tell me this. So COVID happens and not a whole lot of airplanes are taken off. Have you noticed this year an uptick? When you're talking about situate, like I'm talking about are you a bird behavioralist as well? <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> the behavior of birds, right? So you're saying, okay, so our crackles are a little bit more, or gra- is it grackles or crackles? Because I don't even know what they are. Grackles. Grackles. Yeah, are they like blackbirds? grackles. Yeah, yeah. Go, go to an HEB parking lot at sunset. <laughs> right? So they're, they're the blackbirds, exactly right? right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, they're, gotcha. They're, in the, they're, they're grouped in there, yes. So they've, they've, they've been around the block a bit, so they're a bit, they're a bit, or they're a bit smarter. I love how you call them situationally aware, whereas our morning doves are out there just in for the kill, right? These poor morning doves have no idea what's going on. They're just hungry. <laughs> but did you have you noticed that there's been because uh, and I'm just looking at this from my perspective. I look outside my window and I see deer walking up and down my street during uh, during COVID, right? Uh, birds are there's more birds around than there ever was before during sort of our lockdown and there was less traffic in the air and less traffic on our roads for a period of time. So did you see whenever we started like getting more flights and stuff that maybe birds that had been practiced in being around humans and airplanes forgot all about it and and then, you know, an an uptick in strikes? <laughs> That's an interesting angle of of a question. I don't know that the data really shows that. I do know if you look at 2019 to 2020, there was fewer strikes, but that, I think your main factor there was just that there was less air traffic in and out of Austin Bergstrom, right? Um, species composition hasn't really changed much from, you know, I've been looking at it from 2018 to, to, to current, what we're going into 2022. Uh, I haven't noticed a whole lot of change in the species composition and the strikes and sort of the seasonal trends just yet. I did read some of the research on that that said with, you know, less vehicles out and about and less air traffic that wildlife uh, populations were rebounding a little bit. Um, but you have other factors going on, too. If you look at Austin, anyone that's lived here for, let's say, five to ten years have noticed major changes in population growth, urbanization, uh, the airport's growing quite a bit, Right. Um, so you have all those factors going on too. It's a little hard to to sort of simplify things out, simplify things out to say precisely what's happening. But I haven't noticed a lot of change in the in the actual species involved. So what do you love about your job, Chris? Aside from the fact that you have a spooky bird freezer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not yeah, even talking about what that says about your psyche. We're just going to go with it's a part of the job, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you, you get 
sometimes people in the scientific community look at little things a little bit different or what what they find interesting but yeah i do really enjoy what i do i think you know you're on the right path when it comes down to a sunday evening and you're kind of looking forward to going back and uh, picking up where you left off on a, on, a, on friday afternoon right that's a good that's a, that's a good sign um, I like it because it's kind of the right combination of using sort of data and analytic skills and then getting out in the field and actually doing um, some things that are a little bit more labor intensive and just getting out and kind of seeing how the vegetation's changing. And uh, I like the partnership aspect of the job where, you know, I work with the uh, noise management coordinator on getting numbers and kind of looking where we're at because he has access to all that. Uh, and then land side and air side maintenance uh, working with them to make sure the air, air field is well kept. They consult me whenever they're doing an art installation or wanting to change the uh, plants that they're planning for sort of airport beautification to make sure we're not going to create habitat for birds or food sources for birds. So I like that part of it. And, um, you know, I get to shoot guns and pyrotechnics and I know. I can tell. <laughs> I can, your, your eye has a cheeky little glint when you talk <laughs> about that stuff. He yeah, just yeah. casually says, you know, we might need to use pyrotechnics, but I can totally see <laughs> the glint. I mean, how many people say they get to go to the airport and shoot off fireworks? I mean, not a whole lot, to be fair. A, <laughs> Most people get arrested. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I, I get it. <laughs> now, we have a question that we have asked almost every single guest. I think we forgot like one or two, but every, every guest that comes on the show, we ask them one important question. Um, and that is, do you remember your first flight into or out of AUS? Not real well. I was a, I think I was in my final year at university of Texas in Austin and uh, took a flight out of here to New York. I don't remember it super well. I do remember coming back here in uh, June of it. 2018 and being like, oh yeah, this airport has grown quite a bit since I remember. Um, so kind of, sort of, not really. Uh, that is, yeah, good. I don't fly a whole lot. <laughs> to be honest, I, I fly out of here about once a year for a for a training in Tulsa, and that's about it. But I think it's good to kind of experience things from the passenger side a little bit. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Did, did that dodge the question? I don't really remember it too well. <laughs> no, I mean that was. It's. I think it's different. It's. It's always interesting just getting everyone's different answers on things. So that that that, that works as well as anyone's. Um, <laughs> was it was it was Austin Bergstrom though, and not Mueller? Correct. It was around two thousand five, I believe. So, okay. Yeah. That's what we've seen a, lo- a healthy mix of folks. A lot. A lot of a lot of folks who flew out of the old airport, but we've seen some other ones too. But no, that is perfect. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. I don't know, Michelle, do you have any other question, wildlife questions? That I don't, but I, I feel like you find your niche, Chris. I feel like this is this might be what you're destined to do. Do you ever think you'll you'll bounce out of airports and go go and manage do wildlife else? elsewhere? Yeah, and also oh, yeah. if you're just having me walking around and and see a dead bird, are, are you like compelled to go over and check it out? Oh yeah, uh, that's that's a definite yes. Um, some of my friends, when they see when we're together and they see a dead bird, they start taking their distance from me because they know I'm gonna go pick it up and look at it, and then you know, oh try, to put some, try to put it somewhere where I'll just, you know, be away from people. But uh, I do that. Um, yeah, I'm just real kind of curious about the causation of things and why uh, what what a given species feeds on and what kind of habitat it looks for has always kind of been that way. 
so yeah, I think this is this has been kind of a neat area. I don't know, uh, you know, you're called to something and then you're called to something else. That tends to happen, right? But this has been uh, an interesting area. It's, and it's a pretty new field, too. It all really sort of came about with the uh, U.S. Airway, US Airways uh, force landing on the Hudson River right back. And that was, I believe, July of 2009. And then, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the FAA and Congress and the military as well all sort of took a look at, like, what's the real true risk here? Um, mm-hmm. that we'd have people looking at this closer and actually managing it. And then jobs like mine have sort of started uh, popping up. So... Well, I remember you did a presentation a few years ago on just the different airstrikes around different airports and stuff. It was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's something that, honestly, I I must be just like monumentally naive and innocent. I don't even think about these things (laughs) at all until you're faced with them. I remember meeting you, Chris, and coming back and going to my husband, oh my God, there's a wildlife guy (laughs) at an airport? Crazy. Uh, yeah, and I would tell people it's definitely not something to worry about. Uh, you know, it's something we are managing. But if you enjoy flying and traveling, don't let it dissuade you one bit. It's it's super cool that we have this program in place for all of this. So, um, like, and just, I think you're just saying like it really helps keep people's minds that this stuff has been going on, and we are building out those data sets. So, we are glad to have you both here at the airport and here on the show today. So, once again, thank you so much. Absolutely, yes. Thanks, y'all, for the opportunity to talk to you today. So, yeah, Austin Airport wildlife biologist. That's that's a really cool gig. That was a fun interview. I like honestly, that's fun. I have visions, right, of of Chris. Just like you know, when he says I do my perimeter checks, there's there's no doubt in my head that he's in you know an aviation department vehicle. You know those those white ones, blue and white ones, yep. whatever. But I sort of see him in a jeep. You know. With with camo on, <laughs> doing the perimeter with you know like a rifle in his hand is sort of very, very Jurassic Park like the <laughs> the guy on there I know. Uh, with a beanie hat you know maybe some binoculars trying to see how he's going to see if the morning doves right like uh, Eddie Howe very interesting it's a very interesting job very interesting role and one that's really needed I mean like yeah. it's not only about keeping us safe but it's about keeping wildlife safe too it's like keeping them at bay um, you know how we how we crossover between nature and man uh it can be dangerous for both so uh i'm glad i'm for one i'm glad that he is here keeping an eye on it and working in collaboration i mean he he mentioned multiple times the collaboration with operations and and our side um and how they uh they uh, and field maintenance you know how they all work together to make sure that maintenance is the the most important thing so very cool yeah so I think now as we kind of wrap this episode up, we haven't talked to destination in a little while, but I think in light of all of this news that we have of exciting new air service, as well as our amazing air service that we've recently also welcomed back on British Airways, um, I think maybe talk a little bit about London or at least flying into London Heathrow, some of that stuff. I know you've mentioned before that you've flown out that way, Michelle. I As the resident american on the podcast okay well, can, can you tell me a little bit? i know nothing about, i mean like full disclosure i know nothing about i've i like i say i think we've talked before i've only ever connected a couple times through shannon ireland for military deployments yeah so the british isles in general are a foreign concept to me i wouldn't know the first thing about flying into london or london in general um do you have any insight for anyone out there who's listening 
Look, it's a it's a long flight, but if you're going direct, it's awesome because you step right off and you're there. Uh, Heathrow is um, Heathrow is actually a very touch free airport already. So the immigration in, in Heathrow is almost personless, right? Like everything is um, is uh, you you get your photograph and everything taken automatically, and you go through all of those little uh, turnpikes and stuff automatically. You scan your you scan your passport in, and it lets you in. So there's actually very little people contact. The most contact you have with folks is actually security, because you have to go through security again as well. Um, if you're going through, you know, connect. Well, I'm always going through a connecting flight, by the way. So let me be clear on that. Is I'm always going through a connecting flight because I'm always flying in into Ireland from Heathrow. Um, but in terms of London itself, I mean, you have to visit London because it's, um, it's, it's, there is a, you are not going to f- not find something to do in London that's going to, that's going to pique your interest, right? I mean, it's, first of all, it's really, really old. And second of all, it's got lots of history and architecture and all of those fun things. So, um, and you have to go to the palace. Why not? Because you know, the, you know, the, the Queen of England is arguably the, the, the most famous, has the most famous royal family in the, in the world, right? So everybody's yeah. talking about it. They're always in, especially in America, right? You got Harry and Meghan all over the newspaper. You got William and Kate all over the newspaper. You, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> always there in the background and, and the, and the legend of Princess Diana still lives on, you know? So Buckingham Palace is always a good place to visit. I actually have not been in London in a really long time. So when I, the last time I was there, the London Eye, so think about that, that was 2000. Uh, the London Eye was being built. So I haven't actually been in to see the London Eye, but um, Westminster Abbey, uh, going uh, to see Big Ben, um, just, I mean, there's a ton of stuff to do and a ton of places to go. So there's little areas as well. So you would just go around Trafalgar Square and see, you know, in the Marble Arch. That's a lovely area. Um, and then uh, Piccadilly Circus. So Piccadilly Circus has all kinds of things going on. Lots of street art happening and, and um, uh, not art. What am I trying to say? Uh, like street theater and stuff. Huh. And of course, there's... Uh, the, Re- the Reduced Shakespeare Company is out that way as well. And then, of course, you've got the West End. I mean, it's just a hub of uh, – there's areas in, in London, the, the, the areas that you go to, you know, if you're doing your touristy thing, even if you're not doing a touristy thing and you're just, like, wanting to explore, there's a ton of stuff to explore. It's, it's very – it's got a lot of character. Um, and then before you know it, you're walking down 10 Downing Street and you go, oh, man, 10 Downing Street's right here. <laughs> very very cool yeah it's and all it, pretty close together well i will have to add it to my list like i said i've it's, it's just a part of the world i've i've never seen or been to or anything else other than connecting flights barely not even not even in that part so well the thing too is is that there, you have the underground right so over here we call the the subway and then over over in in london it's the london underground and uh and so there it, you used to hear the you know mind the gap mm-hmm. <laughs> when you would come off <laughs> i feel terrible because we actually have what like about three or four um employees here who are from england we should have got them on to talk about it ah yeah well i think we could probably do a bigger deep dive in the future on some of that stuff we need to find if there's an employee here who's from amsterdam i feel like we keep dancing around amsterdam as well we know nothing about what that flight's going to bring there's um, bound to be there's bound to be one and we have so, but we have so many cool things coming up this summer and well in the spring and into the summer so it's super exciting um that we have all of that and now even more ways to get to london yeah i'm excited 
Yeah. All I need now is to be able to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we'll get all those, those things sorted out, I think, probably as, as we start to reopen and get back to work on all of that. Um, but Happy New Year, Michelle. Happy New Year, Bryce. I'm looking forward to 2022. I am too. And to everyone else out there, thank you so much for listening. As always, I am your co-host, Bryce Duby. And I am your co-host, Michelle Lau. Thanks for joining everybody. Until next time. The Austin Approach is the official podcast of Austin Bergstrom International Airport and the City of Austin's Department of Aviation. Our theme music is produced by Michael Pinnock, the AUS Music Program Coordinator. Thanks for listening.